This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 178 of the Catholic Foodie, Table and Altar. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today we are talking about the blessings of being around the table. And we're talking the table at home, the kitchen table, or the dining room table. And we're also talking about God's family table, the altar, where we find that in our parish churches all around the world. There's something about it, folks. There's something about being around the table. God made us to crave communion, to desire communion, and communion happens around the table. So we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to start off with some news, though, and also have some uh, questions to answer this episode right here. The Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. And I am so glad to be back in the saddle, folks. I can't, I can't believe it. I can't... Uh, I don't even know. How, I don't even know what to say. I'm excited about this. I haven't done a show, a full podcast episode, just for the Catholic Foodie, in in, in months. It's been months, believe it or not. Uh, you know, I do a radio show every week. It's uh, broadcasted in uh, New Orleans and Baton Rouge, called Around the Table, the Around the Table Food Show, and uh, it's it's been so much fun. First of all, but also a lot of work. I mean, it takes a lot of work to put the show together to. to to coordinate, to, to get guests, and to uh, some of the shows we've done most recently, I'd say in the last uh, two or three months, uh, have been on locations. We've gone to different restaurants. We've all around New Orleans. Uh, matter of fact, we were at uh, Emerald's home base, his main like test kitchen and, and, and main home base uh, just about a month ago, together with Susan Ford, who is the publisher of Louisiana Kitchen and Culture Magazine. And we're doing a... Um, a, a photo shoot for the holiday issue, which came out today, by the way. At least I got my copy today. Uh, I know that it came in and was ready to be distributed uh, just this past, I think, Tuesday. And uh, sure enough, my issue came into the mail to me today. So I'm very excited about that. It was a lot of fun to be with Susan and to be with the uh, the good folks over there at Emerald's home base. Uh, David Galint, who was the food, uh, food photographer, phenomenal. I mean, so talented, just so amazing. He's a professional chef as well as a professional photographer. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, you know, I think food and faith go together well. Well, he, what he does goes together well too. Uh, he can take professional quality pictures of the, of the professional quality food that he puts out. That's uh, pretty amazing. So it's just been uh, a lot of work to put this show together, the Around the Table Food Show. And so what I've been doing, I've been cheating for the last uh, few months. Instead of producing a full Catholic Foodie podcast each week, I have been taking the radio show and record a little intro, talk about something that's going on, give it a little introduction, you know, and then I put that show into the spot. And there we go. Well, there we go. That's it. That's it. It's a new podcast episode, right? And it goes out to all those folks who are subscribed to the Catholic Foodie podcast on iTunes and through other pod feed, uh, pod readers or pod catchers, I think they call them. So that's what's been happening. But guess what? Today is different. Today I am doing a show, a real Catholic Foodie show, and it's just that. <laughs> So I'm excited. I'm excited. This is good. This is new. It's different. And I hope you're excited too. We're going to start out in just a moment with some food news. We're going to talk about news uh, right now, things that are going on right now as far as food and the news. I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. 
But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of a can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. Uh-huh. I'll have what she's having. I love that bumper, and I love some of the other bumpers that I, I used to play. I don't play them on the Around the Table Food Show, though, so I've got to do a Catholic foodie podcast in order to hear all these uh, oldies but goodies. And uh, in the news today, we're going to talk about uh, food in the news. And one thing that you may or may not know, I mean, I'm here right on the outskirts of New Orleans and in, in, in Louisiana, and this is uh, my my stomping ground. I grew up uh, in Baton Rouge and, and live right outside of New Orleans, spent a lot of time in the city, and uh, I just love it down here in South Louisiana. It's very exciting. We have, uh, we're known. I think the world over for our uh, cuisine, for our food, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, we're also known for our music, right? For jazz, jazz is uh, New Orleans is kind of considered the birthplace of of jazz, and that's a that's a good thing. And I, I'm I'm excited about that. The good thing about being in New Orleans, when you're talking about doing our food show, a food radio show or TV show or anything, there's never a lack of content. I mean, there's so many restaurants in New Orleans, it's unreal. And everyone loves to cook too. So they have their own recipes and they cook at, at home and you always get invited over to somebody's house to eat and, and that, that's a good thing too. <laughs> <laughs> or you could be the one cooking at home and doing the inviting, you know, you never know. But it's good to be around the table and being down here is just, it, it works really well. So speaking of New Orleans and food, you may or may not know this. I do not have a television set, so I don't, uh, I have a TV set. I just don't really have a, uh, I don't have cable. I don't have direct TV. I don't have anything like that. What I have, uh, th- these things, you may have heard of them, they're antennas. It's called an antenna. They look like uh, rabbit ears. I do have that because... By using that, I can watch the Saints play uh, when, when, when they're on TV, right? Uh, football, we're talking Saints football, who dat? Uh, I can watch them play, and that's a lot of fun. And, and we're all, uh, you know, we're part of the who dat nation down here. We're Saints fans. We love to watch football. But that's about it. We don't really get anything else on the TV. So the uh, only TV that we watch, or TV programming, I should say, that we watch, is stuff that we can get through Netflix, we can get it through Hulu Plus, we can get it through Amazon now. Amazon Prime has uh, movies and, and, and stuff that you could watch uh, from your computer, from your phone, from your tablet, uh, wherever. So we, we use that, and we have these old things they used to make. I don't even know if they make them anymore. God, it's been, they're just so archaic. They're called compact discs or DVDs. I think there's DVDs is what they call them. Uh, do they make those anymore? I, I don't know. But we do have a stockpile of those as well. So I'm not really clued in, I guess you'd say, when it comes to food TV. And I love watching shows on Food Network, although almost all of them today seem like they're competitive shows. And those are... I don't know. They're kind of love-hate kind of a thing, you know? Uh, I, I used to love Good Eats. Good Eats was like the bomb, right? I loved Good Eats with, with Alton Brown. And now it's like there's just so many of these competitive sites, competitive uh, uh, TV shows. They're not bad. It's just that it's the same old thing, doesn't matter what channel you're on, you know? That's, at least that's the way it feels uh, for me. However, I have had something that has jolted my interest, piqued my interest uh, when it comes to food competition shows, and that is the fact that Bravo, right? The Bravo channel, Bravo, their program called Top Chef, season 11 of Top Chef, is happening right here, right now, in New Orleans. 
Well, that's sort of true. It's being broadcasted right now, but the the recording of this show happened, I believe it was early in the summer, is when they actually sequestered every all the participants, right? Uh, sequestered all of them and did the actual filming of all the shows. So they are under an embargo. They all know who in the end is going to win, but they can't say who. Anyway, we had two, two local chefs, which is unusual. There's two local chefs in New Orleans who were uh, part of the original, I think it was 19 uh, chefs that they they started out with 19, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, one of them is uh, Michael Seigel, who is at, oh my gosh, he is at, uh, where is he at? Oh, he's at Galatoire's. I forgot about that. One of the most uh, well-known and iconic restaurants in all of New Orleans. Uh, Galatoire's is where he is a, a chef. And so he was competing. And then we have Justin DeVilliers. Just, chef Justin DeVilliers uh, is the owner, proprietor, and and the, the, the chef, the main chef there at uh, La Petite Grocery, all right, which is a, a beautiful, wonderful uh, uh, restaurant. They, they, they put out some fantastic food right there on Magazine Street uh, in New Orleans, and just right around the block from St. Stephen Catholic Church. And it's in an old grocery building. This, the building has been there for like 100 years, and it's, it's an old grocery. And you can, you can walk in the door. You can still see remnants of the architecture of this 100-year-old place. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. If you haven't seen it, they've got some fantastic photos of the restaurant and the food and everything that they serve uh, on their website, which um, if you go to catholicfoodie.com and you look at the show notes for this episode, you'll find the link there, right? It's La Petite Grocery is the uh, name of the restaurant. And it's worth a look because, I mean, this stuff is beautiful and it's got history, you know, it's history. and it's, You just have that New Orleans feel to it. And I, I, I like that a lot. Anyway, these two guys, these two chefs are part of this competition uh, this season in our own town right here in New Orleans. And it's, it's phenomenal. Now, I don't know if you're following this or not. Uh, this came out just this the, the the episode that happened of of Top Chef just this past week, uh, but but one of the two I just mentioned is no longer in the competition. He has been uh, booted off the 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 show right out of the competition, and that was Michael Seichel. Mike he did not make it. He he was cut and let go, uh, and that was I think uh, it may not have been this past week. It may have been the week before. I can't I can't recall. As I mentioned, I don't have. TV programming coming into my house any other way than online. And the good thing about the online stuff is that you can watch it whenever you want. So I don't always pay attention to which week it is and which episode and that kind of thing. I just watch it because it's interesting and I like it. But it's really cool. You know, they, they had the, the episode that happened this past week, though. Uh, Chef John Besh was uh, part of that. He was on the show. They they did part of the competition in his kitchens at one of his restaurants, and I think it was at La Provence, uh, which is on the North Shore. It's close to where I am, uh, maybe about twenty minutes away. And you know, having him on the show and having him talk to these other chefs, and it was just really really neat. Uh, Chef John Best just came out with a brand new cookbook this past week. It was released uh, called um, Cooking from the Heart, and it's all about his early inspirations and and what. What has made him who he is today, you know, as far from as far as uh, you know, culinarily as, as a chef, and it's amazing. It's beautiful stories. It's about families. He he is he is an amazing man. He's an amazing man. He's a good Catholic. 
uh, an amazing man. We've had him on the show, the Around the Table Food Show, a couple times now. And uh, we hope to get him back on real soon to talk about his book, new book. But uh, you may recall I talked about uh, the, the last book he published was last year. It was called Around the Family Table. And incidentally, uh, the name of his book and the name of the radio show in New Orleans had nothing to do with each other. <laughs> it was uh, two totally different things. Didn't even realize that the, 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 the title of his book was so close to that. So we're Around the Table Food Show. His, for his second cookbook was called, or is called, Around the Family Table. And he is a chef. He's got, I think, 13 different restaurants. Very busy, right? Very successful. But the entire thrust of that book was to try to get families back around the table, get back in the kitchen, cook simple meals, and get back around the table. That, that was the whole point. Beautiful. Loved it. Falls right in line with what I talk about here at the Catholic Foodie and also what we talk about on the Around the Table Food Show. So I was very excited to see this new cookbook coming out. I have not gotten my hands on it yet. I'm kind of kicking myself because two, two weeks ago on a Monday night, uh, he had a release party, right? A, 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 a party at one of his restaurants at Bourne. The restaurant is uh, named Bourne. It's in, uh, in New Orleans. And he had a, a, a release party celebrating the publication of the book. He was signing copies, and they had food they were making at the restaurant there from the recipes in the book, and the cocktails were from the book. And it would just so many awesome people were there. And I, I, I wanted to go. I should have gone, but I didn't. And I didn't because I had been that previous weekend. I'd been at the CNMC, the Catholic New Media Conference in Boston, which was phenomenal. It was excellent. Uh, great time. Awesome to see everybody. I did not fly back home until Monday, and I was just beat, you know. But I, later I find out Father Leo Padalinghung was there, my friend Susan Ford, who who has the, the magazine, Louisiana Kitchen Culture Magazine, was there. Chef John Besh was there. It was just so many people who, who went to this party, and I wish I would have been there, but I wasn't. So maybe next time. Maybe maybe next time. Anyway, I'm waiting to get my copy. Uh, a lot of times... Um, the chefs will have different dates set up where they'll go to local bookstores and they'll sign the books and you, know, you can go buy it there and they'll sign it for you. And so I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that to, to get a copy of the book. But uh, I had a point. Oh, the point was <laughs> that this, uh, this, this top chef, right, the, this past episode happened. It, it featured Chef John Bash. It featured him. Perfect timing for him, you know, with the book coming out. Uh, it featured him. It featured his restaurants. And this, this man, is, this is a good man. Chef John Besh. So I'm happy in any way, shape, or form, I'm happy to help promote his work, you know, what he does and the message he stands for, what he's trying to, to say to, to us, to people, uh, to families in the United States of America. So it's just awesome that Top Chef is happening here in New Orleans. It's so close to home. It is home. And at the same time, uh, it's really kind of funny, you know, Chef uh, Justin uh, DeVilliers who is one of the competitors right now, and who I think, I mean, I have no inside knowledge at all, but I, I think he stands an excellent chance, has a very good chance of winning the whole thing hands down. I mean, he's just a, he is an amazingly, almost magical chef. Uh, what he produces is just so original, so uh, just beautiful. I mean, the presentation, but also the flavors that come together. He knows what he's doing. Very, very talented chef. He's been nominated for James Beard's awards. Uh, It's just, he's fantastic. Anyway, point is, uh, we had him on the Around the Table Food Show, which I also shared here at the Catholic Foodie uh, back in August. 
and I think that was episode 171. It was great. It was the first time we took the radio show on location to a restaurant, and we did this the show there on location. It was fantastic. You hear the people talking in the background, having lunch, and you can hear the plates, you know, and the 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 the, the silverware clinking and in the plates and the glasses and the talk and the laughter and it was just a lot of fun it, it, it added a whole new element a whole new dimension i think to the radio show and then also of course releasing it as a as a podcast with uh, the on the catholic foodie uh, feed so but we did not even know we're there right we're there talking with him we did not even know that the top chef thing was even happening he'd already done all the filming He'd already been sequestered for, I think, I can't remember how many weeks, like eight weeks. It was ridiculous as how, how, how long he'd been gone. Uh, they, they did all this stuff, all the filming, everything, the whole season. And then we're sitting there talking with him, interviewing him for the radio show, and none of us have, an idea, have a clue. And he can't say anything because he's under embargo. So I think that is uh, very neat. And it was only, I'm telling you, it was only like four days later that uh, the embargo was lifted and Bravo came out and started to promote and advertise that Top Chef was going to be in New Orleans. So <laughs> that was not so good timing. If we could have only delayed that interview for a week, uh, it would have been awesome because we could have talked about, well, I guess he really couldn't have talked too much about it, only that he was on the show. So anyway, that's that's enough about uh, food news. Well, actually, there's a couple other things I want to share with you real quick, very quickly. I mentioned to you already that uh, Susan Ford, who's the publisher of Louisiana Kitchen and Culture Magazine, we actually we got to see each other uh, on Tuesday this past week because uh, Eat Street, Eat Street is a uh, TV show on Food Network and the Cooking Channel, and it's about street food. It's it's like food trucks and and um, I guess people who have stands, even like uh, hot dog stands or, or, or carts or whatever, but it, it's, it's street food, and so this again, it's not really a competition show, thank goodness, but it, it features very fast paced. It features all these kind of wild uh, foods and and, and and food trucks and the stories, the the people behind this. You know, they had one that was a few weeks back, this grilled cheese sandwich. Oh my goodness, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And these folks, this, this truck was in New York, and they, uh, they said they sell about a thousand of those a day. A thousand grilled cheese sandwiches a day. It's like a high-end grilled cheese, though. It's an $8 sandwich. It's huge. Uh, but think about that. They're pulling in eight grand a day just on that one sandwich. Makes me want to start a food truck, you know? I don't know what I could do. Maybe some uh, Lebanese Mediterranean food or something in a food truck in New Orleans. Who knows? But boy, that was that, that's something. Anyway, there's only one food truck on the North Shore of New Orleans in Covington, Louisiana. Only one, and it's uh, some friends of mine own it. Uh, Keith and Neely Friends, they own uh, Lola Restaurant in Covington, and they also have the only food truck in Covington. It's called Lola De. De meaning being French for two, right? So Lola Two, Lola De. 
And uh, we we get to eat from the food truck usually, I mean, once every couple of weeks, I would say, uh, because of different events that we have. The, the, sometimes at the farmer's market on uh, Saturday morning. Sometimes they're at these uh, rock and the rail events we have in the spring and in the uh, the summer, I mean, spring and the fall. In the evenings where it's live music and bands from New Orleans come and play and, and they're selling food right there out of the truck. And they've got some incredible, incredible street food or incredible uh, food truck food. And they've been recognized for it. Matter of fact, each street wanted to feature them in next season, which is going to be, I don't know when it's going to run, under that the episode that they filmed on Tuesday is going to run sometime in April of 2014. Now, what they wanted, though, is they wanted food writers, people who are or food bloggers, people who could be articulate in describing the food. They wanted to have some of them on hand to interview when they did their photo shoot or their, their, their filming on Tuesday. So I was invited by Eat Street or Food Network or whoever to, to go out and to eat the food and to be interviewed and to talk about it. And Susan Ford, who's in, on the South Shore, received the same invitation. So I got to see Susan. And I was so excited because she was telling me about how the, the magazine, the holiday issue for the magazine was coming out <clears throat> or was going to arrive at least on the pallets, right, on the truck, uh, Tuesday afternoon. So it was the gear. It was going to be there locally, and they could start distributing that magazine, which, by the way, has national distribution. It's, it's sold all over the country, Louisiana Kitchen and Culture Magazine. But they were starting to uh, – they, they would be able Tuesday afternoon to start working on distributing it. And I was excited because I got to participate in the photo shoot for uh, the holiday recipes – uh, especially like the leftovers, the, the the ideas for turkey leftovers, things like that, was just so much fun, so much fun, and um, <clears throat> and I love the magazine. It is the best magazine, food magazine I've seen ever, and so I was excited to get my copy. And guess what? It came in today. It came in today. It was awesome. It's fantastic. I'm gonna put a link in the show notes to Louisiana Kitchen and Culture magazine because it is available all over the country in uh, grocery stores and, and wherever else you may be able to, uh, to purchase magazines like that. Um, but also they have subscriptions and they also have got fantastic deals on these subscriptions where you can actually get the collector's bundle where you get the first three years of the magazine plus a year subscription. Very good deal. It's very inexpensive, especially when you consider what you're getting for this. It's just phenomenal. Um, so I will put a link in the show notes to Louisiana Kitchen and Culture magazine so that you can uh, check out the holiday issue. And I'll have to share on the next episode some of the recipes that are in that holiday issue because they will knock your socks off. I'm telling you, fantastic stuff. And the last piece of news, food news I want to share with you is something very simple. Uh, a friend of mine, John Clem, you may have heard of John, uh, with Catholic Web Services. John was uh, up in and at the CNMC in Boston. I saw him just a, a couple of weeks ago, and it was so good to see John in person, to meet him in, in, in person, because I've seen him uh, in chat rooms. I've seen him uh, uh, through you know SQPN uh, online events and in live streams, and, and I've seen his blog, of course, and we've communicated via email and all that fun stuff, but I'd never met him in person, and I was able to do that at the CNMC. So that was a, a, a joy to, to be able to meet him in person, to talk with him, and uh, he's a great guy, John Clem. And I received a little tidbit, a little piece of news from John uh, just yesterday, and uh, this is what, because John's in Virginia, okay? He lives in Virginia. This is what he says. He sends me this email, and he says, you, you're going to love this. 
Charlottesville, right, Charlottesville, Virginia, was named America's best small town for food by the Daily Meal. The Daily Meal is a big uh, website. It's kind of a, a portal in a sense, and somewhat in the, in, the, in the way that Patheos is a portal. Uh, so the Daily Meal is all about food, of course, and you've got food bloggers. I'm actually part of that. I'm a contributor to the Daily Meal. Uh, but they have these competitions where, where people can vote, uh, and they, they're like the best of the best, you know. And, and apparently, Charlottesville was named America's best small town for food by the Daily Meal, which is pretty awesome. Matter of fact, it says that they have more restaurants per person than New York City. Isn't that amazing? I think it's pretty awesome. So you can read more about that in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. And I think what we're going to do right now is take a little breather here, and uh, we'll be right back. True love, you heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. Hi, this is Jeff Young, the Catholic foodie and co-host of Around the Table Food Show. I want to invite you to travel with me on a special pilgrimage to the Holy Land, February 5th to the 15th, 2014. Join me as we pray and break bread together in Israel and experience the Bible come alive. More than a standard pilgrimage experience, this trip also includes cooking demonstrations, shopping in open-air markets, tours of a brewery, and a Franciscan winery in Bethlehem. The trip will culminate with a farewell supper in Emmaus, where the disciples recognize Jesus and the breaking of the bread. You can find all the details at catholicfoodie.com. That's right. That's right. Uh, CatholicFoodie.com. And we do have room still. There's still some room on that trip. Uh, we've got a few more spaces left. You can go to CatholicFoodie.com. On the left-hand side, the left-hand side, there are a few links to information about the pilgrimage to the Holy Land. It would be awesome for you to join us. Uh, go uh, check that out over at CatholicFoodie.com. Now, we had food in the news, right? We were talking about food in the news, and I had, and I wanted to do a segment on faith in the news because we got lots of stuff that happens all across the world with our faith that winds up in the news. And uh, But what we're going to do, I've got lots of other things I want to talk about, so I'm going to give you one little tidbit here, and I'm sure you've, you've probably even seen this. Um, have you seen the picture yet of Pope Francis hugging the man, right? The man with the boils all over his head and his face, his body. Have you seen that yet? Oh, my goodness. You, you talk about a perfect picture of the compassion of Jesus. I mean, you have Jesus in the New Testament, right? In the Gospels, the, we, we have the story of Jesus recorded where he's not afraid to touch people. He's not afraid to touch those who are unclean. And I mean, imagine that. Imagine that if you're, you're, the, you're the, the person who is unclean or like this man, I think most people who would see this man would want to run because they're afraid that, first of all, it's kind of scary looking, and secondly, they don't want to catch what he's got, right? It would be kind of the, the, the fear. So they, they, they like the, uh, um, the, the, the people in the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? They cross over to the other side of the street to avoid him, that kind of a thing. Well, what does Jesus do in the Gospels? He does not avoid them. If they're a leper, if they are public sinners, whatever it is, Jesus is not afraid to touch them. And that is beautiful. 
it cuts right through all of our um, selfishness, all of our fear, all of our uh, lack of charity. It, it cuts through all of that and gets right to the heart of everything, which is that Jesus loves us so much. He is compassionate. And compassion, if you look at the etymology of that word, right, go back to Latin, what does it mean? It means to suffer with, right? Compassion, to suffer with. It, it, Jesus is not afraid of the mess. He's not afraid of the sickness. He's not afraid of the suffering. He is right there in the middle of it with us. He is not afraid. And he reaches out and, and touches us even when we think that we're untouchable. And this picture, I don't know if you've seen it. I will put it in the show notes. It is so riveting. It is so shocking. Uh, it, it makes you do a double take, but it also at the same time gives you a jolt of the love of God in your heart because here's Pope Francis, the the the, the visual head of the church, right? The visual uh, representative of Jesus Christ on earth, and he is embracing and kissing this man who is covered in boils, something that most of us, I think, would just run away from in, in, in absolute terror and horror. Pope Francis is embracing it. He is being Jesus to that man, but he's also being Jesus to us because he has given us an example of what God's love is like, of what Jesus' love is like, and what his mercy is like. And that, to me, folks, is the best news in the world. That is the good news, the love, the compassion, the mercy of Jesus Christ, which brings us salvation, right? Which brings us salvation. So if you haven't seen it yet, go check out the show notes, catholicfoodie.com, and you can see it. See it and share it on like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those social outlets so that we can spread the word, the good word about the love, mercy, and compassion of Jesus. Listen, maybe you're not supposed to be Spider-Man climbing those walls. That's why you keep falling. Just an ordinary guy who should get a job. That's right. That's right. Well, if you're wrong, at least you can turn to the Lord for mercy. Uh, <laughs> we're talking in this segment, we're going to be talking about, uh, this is going to be a, the around the table segment. We're talking about sacraments and family meals. And it's not around the table as the food show. This is around the table as a concept, as an idea, as a thought. Uh, because you know what? Good things happen around the table. More than that, though, I think we were made by God. God made us in such a way that we, in the depths of our hearts, crave, desire, long for communion, primarily communion with God, but also communion with each other, communion within the family. And I'm talking about communion as in the unity with, right? You're being united with, you're one with people, and that happens around the table. And that is something that is, that is unfortunately, in our culture, we're losing sight of that, right? We're losing sight of why family meals are so important. We're losing sight of, 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 of really, we're, we're taking food. Our culture has, has led us to take food out of its proper context, which is a meal. A meal is the proper context for food, a shared meal, really, if you get down to it, for millennia, millennia. Since creation and how God made us, food was part of a meal that was shared because people had to work together to eat. 
You had the hunter-gatherers, right? You had the, uh, oftentimes it was the woman that was at home that was cooking, but they were, the kids were helping, uh, lots, of, lots of activity, lots of cooperation, lots of work going on together, uh, working together to put food on the table. And, and that food was enjoyed together. There was, a, there was a recognition of God, of dependence on God, right? God is the great provider. He's the one that, that sends the rain and the, and the sun and, 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 and all of that, right? The harvest is dependent on, on God. And so there was this, this acknowledgement of God's part, his role his, as provider in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things. And so it was natural across different cultures, I'm not talking about just Christianity or just Judaism, but across cultures, across the whole world, it was understandable to thank God for your food in a very real way, because, and to, to say a blessing, so to speak, whatever religion it may be, simply because it took so much effort, so much energy to get food to the table. And it was something you had to do, it was cooperation with other people, you're working together with other people to get food around the table. And so you, you naturally, naturally, for human beings, it was natural to thank God and to bless God for the goodness of providing for them. And we've totally lost that. <laughs> I mean, you know, at least in the Western world, United States, you can go anywhere to get food. You know, you got uh, vending machines that you can go to and get candy bars. You got vending machines you can go to and get sandwiches if you want, right? There's food all over the place. We have fast food restaurants just littered across our streets and in the United States. And so what do we do? We take food out of context because we are so busy. And so we eat on the run, we eat in the car, we eat alone. And if we're eating fast food, it's not even real food. And so we're eating chemicals, we're eating things that really just aren't good for us, but we're doing it for convenience sake. And so we've lost touch with dependence on God. We've lost, we're, we're as a culture now, as a, as a, in general, as a culture, dependence on God, we've lost touch with that. We've lost touch with the, the, the need, the, the purpose, the, the, the purpose really of the meal is not simply to put gas in the gas tank, right? Gas in the engine to make the engine of your, the, 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 the machine of your human body to, to, to run. That's not the point, right? The point really is communion, you gather around the table, you share food, you share fellowship, uh, you, 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 you grow together around the table. That, that's the whole point. You can grow in faith. You, children learn from parents how to live life and how to communicate and how to talk about things and how to see the world. And they, they grow in faith and all that stuff happens around the table. And let me ask you this. How many opportunities do you have in a day to be face-to-face with somebody? You know, the whole image, think about that, face-to-face, there, there's a, a, a definite, intimate quality to that. Matter of fact, the saints have written about this, uh, written about uh, prayer as seeking the face of God. And I, I remember uh, Pope John Paul II writing about this, writing about seeking the Lord's face. Uh, there, there, there's an intimacy there that we don't experience in many places in the world. As an example, you know, you go to your office. If you work in an office, sometimes you may have a cubicle and it's just you, right? And you can't see anybody else. We're in our cars. We're facing forward, hopefully, driving, not texting. 
we go to, I mean, there, obviously throughout the day you meet people, see people, and you're face-to-face, but a lot of times people are texting or they're on their smartphones or they're, they're on a phone call or, or whatever. If you're, in a, if you're in your office, you may have an, an office with a door. Your door may be closed during the day so you can get your work done and not be distracted. Um, or, or when people come in to, to meet with you in your office, you're sitting in the big comfy chair. You got a desk in between you and the, and the guest, you make them sit in that little bitty teeny tiny chair, right? And that the classic way they do it in movies to make the, you know, the person coming in, the visitor it is made to feel like inferior because they're in this little teeny tiny chair. And well, you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, it's not really, you're not equal. You're not really experiencing this thing called communion. And even at Mass, if you think about it, and, and Monsignor Christopher Nolte, who's a co-host of the Around the Table Food Show with me, um, he has said this, and it really, really struck me, is that even at Mass, you're not looking at people's faces. You're looking at the back of their head because you're facing the same way, right? Everybody's facing forward. Now, granted, you're supposed to be really looking at God, right? Looking at, at Jesus, um, looking at the cross, uh, and we all do that together. But my point is, is that as far as individuals, families even, you're not really getting that sense of communion uh, that you get like around the table at, at home. So around the table is so important. And I think going back to this, it's that there's a sacramental quality to family meals, right? We have the sacraments and the sacraments, uh, seven sacraments in the Catholic Church, all instituted by Jesus, right? The definition of a sacrament instituted by Christ to communicate grace. So we receive God's grace, which is something spiritual, through something physical. Uh, in the Eucharist, it's bread and wine. In baptism, it's water and the words that the priest speaks or the deacon. Um, in confession, it is the words that you speak in repentance, right? And, and, and the, 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 the contrition that you bring to the sacrament and uh, the other sign that, that communicates grace or the words of the priest, I absolve you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the sign of the cross. So you have these very real, tangible, physical things that happen that communicate spiritual grace to us. That's what a sacrament's all about. We also have things, though, called sacramentals. And see, this is all built into creation by God. Sacraments makes sense because of something that has been referred to as a sacramental principle. It basically saying that creation is good, and that God can use creation, physical things, to communicate grace to us. And so that's why something like the rosary, if you have a rosary, it's, uh, you, you may take it to a priest to have it blessed. It's a sacramental, and it's also made holy by the prayers that you pray while you're using that rosary. Uh, it's a sacramental. Uh, you wear a scapular, same thing. It's, it's a sacramental. It's a, it is a physical object that together with our uh, participation, with our uh, involvement, like through prayer and good works and things like that, our faith, uh, is a physical object that can give us grace. Sacramentals are like sacraments, but they are not sacraments. We have seven sacraments. We have lots of sacramentals. Statues can be a sacramental. I already mentioned the rosary. You know, there are lots of different sacramentals. But the concept of sacramental principle, right? The sacramental principle that God can use very daily, ordinary, tangible things, physical things to communicate grace would apply also to the family table. Getting together with your family, 
around the table, sharing a meal, hopefully thanking God for the food and, and praying the, 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 a blessing beforehand and maybe even a, even a, a prayer of thanksgiving at the end, that all of that is a very real way that God can use to communicate grace to me and you, right, to our families. And what is grace? You know, what is grace? Grace is God's very own life. God communicates his very self to us, his very own life to us, through these physical, tangible things. And to me, I don't know about you, but to me, that is an absolutely beautiful thing. Absolutely beautiful. So sacraments and family meals go together hand in hand. Uh, you can see a lot of corollaries between uh, the, the, the meals that you share at the family table, where you are around the table, you're looking at each other, you're conversing, you're praying, uh, you're just being yourself, not hopefully with a cell phone or an iPad or some other kind of device, but just being there with your family, giving yourself, giving your time, giving your attention, and then also receiving it from everybody else, that that, that, that beautiful thing that happens there around the table can also, is, it, it shows us, it's kind of a mirror, right? It shows us what's happening at Mass when we're there around God's family table and we are preparing to receive the food that brings eternal life, that gives eternal life, Jesus Christ himself in the Eucharist body, blood, soul, and divinity. So the two go hand in hand, and we need them both. We need them both. And that's part of what the Around the Table Food Show is about, and it's part of what the Catholic Foodie is about, is to inspire and encourage people, families, to get back in the kitchen and to cook good, wholesome, homemade food, and to also get around the table and to celebrate life, to celebrate God's love with each other, inviting friends and family around the table to experience God's grace right there. So in a nutshell, that's what uh, I'm trying to do here, and I hope that is a, a good mission. That it sounds like a good mission to you and that you uh, you think that's appropriate. Um, please do. I'd love to have your feedback. Let me know what you think about what I just said with family meals and how important they are. I would love to hear from you. Uh, you can leave voice feedback for The Catholic Foodie, which I can play on air here. Uh, by calling 985-635-4974 and leaving a message. That is a digital recorder. You call it, you leave a message, and I can play that file right here on the show, on air. I would love to hear from you. Let me know, what do you think about family meals, about families at mass together, how these two can kind of work together, right? The grace of being around the table. Table and altar, that's what the name of this episode is all about. So I want to hear from you, 985-635-4974. I need two salmon, three salad compassion, and a free fillet. Fire two others, seared salmon. Free fillet, work it. I need Well, it has been so long for me since I've done a, a, a full episode of The Catholic Foodie uh, that I have no voice feedback to share with you. That's terrible. <laughs> terrible. But you know what? I get questions all the time on the Facebook page, uh, fa- uh, facebook.com slash Catholic Foodie. Always getting questions. And not that long ago, it was just a few weeks back, I, uh, 
I, I posted a recipe over at catholicfoodie.com. It's an article and a recipe for making pizza dough with beer. And I figured I would maybe share that with you today because I had folks ask me about it. You know, what kind of beer do you use? How do you do this? It doesn't make sense. I'm confused. How, how does this work? And so I want to share with you real quick. You can find that, by the way. It's over at catholicfoodie.com. And let me see if I can pull it up real quick. This is uh, pizza, pizza, pizza. You know, I love pizza. I've been making pizza since I was about 12, and I've got lots of recipes. I've got lots of articles that I've written about pizza over at catholicfoodie.com. You're, you know, matter of fact, <laughs> I love pizza so much, and I've, I've, I talk about it so much that uh, it has its own little menu item up there in the navigation bar on the website. So if you're on catholicfoodie.com on any page on the, the secondary menu there, all the way to the right next to seasons, as in like, you know, Mardi Gras season, uh, Advent season, Easter season, Lent, right, ne- right next to seasons, you've got pizza with all the, with a, it'll take you to a page with all the different articles that I've written about uh, pizza. Now, this is uh, how to make pizza dough with beer. You know, I talked about the fact how pizza and beer go to he- go together like peanut butter and chocolate, right? The, matter of fact, uh Monks used to to make beer. They used, some some monks would actually fast on beer during Lent because beer was referred to as liquid bread. It's, it's almost like the same ingredients. It's just liquid and not solid. So liquid bread, and so it would make sense if you go to any uh, pizza establishment, uh, you go to order a pizza. Nine times out of ten, they've got beer on hand too, right? You can order beer, pizza, and beer go together. Nobody can argue with that. But it's another thing, though, huh? You think about it, to actually make the dough with beer. And so I wanted to do like a little experiment uh, with this, and I, I tried it out on, on two different recipes that I have that I use regularly for making pizza dough. And the first one I, I came across, it was uh, Albert Grande of pizzatherapy.com, which I love that website, and I love that the concept is fantastic. We all need a little therapy, and pizza's a good uh, therapeutic aid there. Uh, but his recipe, I, I was using it for years, for years. And, and, the, and the, that's the one that I chose first to use and to try out uh, the beer. And I, I used a, a Beta Giacomo IPA. India Pale Ale, which is very um, hoppy, a lot of, a lot of hops uh, in, 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 in an IPA. And basically, you need one bottle because in the recipe, you need one and a half cups of room temperature water, uh, or in this case, beer. So one 12-ounce beer will suffice. And uh, you use that, use a quarter cup of extra virgin olive oil, four cups of all-purpose flour, two teaspoons of salt, two teaspoons of honey, and then three teaspoons of active dry yeast. Rapid rise yeast works just as well. And what you want to do is prepare the dough any way that you can. As an example, I have a mixer with a dough hook, and so I like to use that stand mixer, right? It's the easiest way for me to do that. If you don't have one of those, but you have a bread machine, you can use the bread machine, just follow the directions, uh, the manufacturer's directions for the dough setting. And so what that does, it doesn't really cook it. All it does is it mixes everything really well. It kneads the dough for you, and then it allows it to rise inside of the container without uh, actually cooking it. It doesn't, the heating element doesn't come on. So you can use the dough setting on a bread machine to do that. And I think it's like 90 minutes later, you're ready to rock it in the kitchen. 
Um, you can also do it by hand, which for years is what I loved doing because I love working with, I love feeling the dough. I love to, to feel the change, the metamorphosis, the transformation that takes place when you are uh, kneading dough. I love that. However, uh, you know, life gets busy. And so with a stand mixer, it's just a lot quicker. <laughs> So I don't uh, I don't need dough by hand anymore. I kind of miss it. But uh, so you would just prepare your dough any way that you would normally prepare it, whether it's a bread machine, stand mixer, or with your hands. And uh, after it rises and doubles in size, you know, usually it's a few hours, a couple hours. I, I, sometimes I wait four hours. Uh, then the dough is ready to be divided, rolled out. Top it with your favorite toppings and then, and then bake it. If you want some uh, suggestions or ideas for toppings and, and sauce and, and, and all that kind of good stuff, just go to catholicfoodie.com and click on that pizza tab up there in the top uh, navigation bar. Plenty of it over there. Plenty of it. And uh, so that was the, the first one I tried. And it came out, they came out great. Came out great. I used Albert Grande's recipe. I used beer. Fantastic crust. Last night, Right, last night I tried, I have a new favorite recipe for pizza dough. I've been using this now for probably a year. Oh, well, not quite a year. Not quite a year. It's from Jim Leahy. Jim Leahy is a restaurateur, uh, a baker, a chef, and a cookbook author up in New York. And he has a pizza place up there. I think it's called, Sl- what is it called? I can't, Co for company, Co, C-O. Um, so he's got a place up there, and, and he has this recipe, which is just striking. It's, it's just striking at first. It is a no-knead dough, and that's knead, like, yes, K-N-E-A-D, no-knead dough. And what you basically do is it's not, it's not complicated at all. I mean, it, goodness gracious, it's, it's the flour, three and three-quarter cups of flour. You use uh, water, which I believe is the same. It's uh, one and a half cups. I'm, I'm trying to pull this up right now so I can make sure I give it to you straight. Um, but it's a no-knead dough. So what you do is you take, is, is, there's no oil in it, no oil at all. Um, and the oil, the oil is tricky because oil can, you know, it, 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 it can, it can make a dough softer. It certainly does that. That's what it does to bread, to any kind of baked goods that you, you do. You can make it softer. H- however, uh, it can also make it more, I guess the word's dense, you know, a little heavier than if it had no oil in it. And that's, that's kind of one of the primary differences between, say, like an Italian bread and a French bread. Because in a French bread, there's, there's no, a traditional French bread, there's no oil. Um, so the oil will also help preserve bread longer. And that's one of the reasons why the Italians would put the oil in there, not only the flavor and the softness, but it'll keep it from going bad. Uh, it gives it a longer shelf life, so to speak. So here's what we do with this no-knead bread. The original recipe that he gives is 17 and a half ounces or three, three and three-quarter cups of all-purpose flour, plus you're going to need more to shape the dough, and then a quarter teaspoon of active dry yeast. Uh, I actually, I have to confess, I use, I use a half a teaspoon because a quarter teaspoon just sounds so little that I'm afraid it wouldn't work, but I've never tried it, believe it or not. I just I do a half teaspoon of active dry yeast, and then two teaspoons of fine sea salt. I use uh, kosher salt uh, myself, and then one and a half cups of water. Again, one and a half cups, which is a beer, right? It's a 12-ounce beer. So last night for the first time, I did try this recipe out. It actually, it wasn't last night. It was the night before last, uh, because this is a slow fermentation process. This dough is going to sit out on the counter after you mix it by hand, 
for about 18 hours. And it varies if it's if the if if you're in a warmer temperature, you could do it. You you don't have to leave it out as long. If it's a cold t- colder temperature, you may have to leave it out longer. But it's slow fermentation, and so you're gonna mix everything in a bowl: the 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 flour, the the yeast, the the salt. I usually mix that by with a wooden spoon or with my hands first. Then you add the water. But in this case, we're gonna add beer. Okay, so you add the beer, and you're gonna mix that up with your hands, and you're not really needing the dough. You just want to make sure that it's all well mixed together. Once that is that is done, then you're going to cover it with a saran wrap or some, some sort of plastic wrap, and you're going to leave it sitting out on the counter for about 18 hours or so. Um, now, the awesome thing about this, it, it's amazing what happens. The, 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 the transformation that takes place in this dough will knock your socks off. I'm telling you, it's, it's just absolutely amazing. The dough is so light and airy. I mean, you, you actually see uh, these air pockets in in the dough. So when you go and divide it, and and I, I've even changed the way that I roll out the dough. I don't even roll this dough out. I, I do it by hand, really by stretching it. If I stretch it and don't press it, then those air bubbles stay in the dough. And when I go to uh, to bake that pizza, it's gonna pop right. Those air bubbles pop out. And uh, the gases are released, and you get this this beautiful crust, beautiful crust. And it's light and airy, light and airy, not dense. So that's uh, that's the, the one that I prefer. Now, typically, I make that with water, right? I make it with water. But what I did as an experiment was I did it with the with the beer. And I have to admit, it, it tasted great, tasted fantastic, but it did not behave the same way that it did when I made it with water. And I've been making the, the, this particular recipe for about the last year, maybe a little bit less than that, but about a year. And I've been doing it with water every time. And just flawless, right? Flawless pizza crust. It'll, it'll put to shame most of what you're going to find at, at, at restaurants. This, this dough is that good. Uh, if you have a baking steel that you're going to bake your pizza on, wow. Then you're going to beat out those restaurants on several levels, okay? Several levels. So, uh, but I have to admit that this particular dough that I, I actually made pizza last night with the beer just did not have the same reaction. It did not uh, bubble up the way that the, the water did. And maybe it's because sometimes I add extra water and I allow that dough to be a little, a little wet when I, when I put the, the plastic wrap on it and, and leave it on the counter. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I guess I need more testing. My wife will be excited. I get to make more pizza so I can test this. Um, so I wasn't as thrilled with it. Matter of fact, I actually had to roll out the dough because it did not have the elasticity that it did when I used water. What does all that mean? I have no idea. I'm not a scientist. Alton Brown is. And I guess Jim Leahy knows a thing or two about the science behind this too. So from now on, personally, when I'm using his recipe, I'm going to stick with water and not beer. Here's a way you can be creative on a daily basis. Well, how else in your life can you actually create new things every day? And you have to eat. This mm-hmm. is the thing we all agree on. If you're going to eat three times a day to the day that you die, why not be good at it? Amen. Amen, Jamie Oliver. Amen. If you're going to have to, if you have to eat three times a day to the day you die, why not be good at it? That's a good, good question. Good question. And that's it, folks. That's it. Uh, This is the end of the Catholic Foodie episode 178. I'm so glad that you spent this time with me. Uh, We've got some good, exciting things coming up in the next few episodes. I've got uh, 
an interview coming up with Chris Faddis, an old friend of mine, Chris Faddis. You may uh, know uh, him from, uh, well, he just had a book published. That's what we're going to interview him on the next episode. It's called It Is Well, and it's the story basically of uh, him and his wife. Uh, his wife, Angela, passed away uh, at the age of 32 uh, from uh, cancer. And so he tells the stories, a story of grace, a story of redemption, a story of resurrection. It's, a really, it's, it's one of the most beautiful things I've, I've ever read. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And uh, we have him coming on the show to, uh, to talk to us about the book, about his experience, about his two children, who he dedicated the book to, and uh, lots of good things coming up. We've got something else coming up in just a few days, matter of fact. Uh, something I'm doing with Loyola Press. Loyola Press has a special Food and Faith uh, series taking place this month, starting on Monday, November 11th. It's all about uh, uh, the art. It's part of their Arts and Faith series. They're concentrating this month on the culinary arts just in time for Thanksgiving. So very excited about that. That is, uh, I've been invited to help out here and there in promoting it and and also creating some content for it. So I'm excited about that. And Loyola Press doing a good job. So uh, stick, stick around. Stick around. We have good things happening here at the Catholic Foodie. Why? Because good things happen around the table. So, until next time, bon appétit.